You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, White Sox fans, it's Brett Valentini. I am hosting the Southside Sox Mothership Podcast. It's number 49, 49 podcasts already. And this is another of our sort of special editions. They're a lot of fun, sort of a get-to-know uh, staff member at Southside Sox. We got a, a new guy we're going to talk with today and introduce you to. It's Tyrone Palmer. First of all, Tyrone, thank you for hopping on on Southside Sox and for doing this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm very excited to to be new, to be a part of the team. You're hopping on at the right time because we got a first place White Sox team, but let's rewind. I'm thinking roughly 20 years or so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you came to your White Sox fandom. Yeah. So like growing up, like my mom was not a huge sports person at all. So I didn't really, I wasn't around a lot of sports as a kid. I just, you know, wasn't something that was in my life. And then I remember going to my uncle took me to a Sox game and he was the first person to ever kind of explain the rules you know yeah, so sure. I actually was like oh I I, I get what's happening now although I, I feel like I remember I didn't quite get all the rules down like right. I remember thinking that like fans were responsible for throwing the ball back to the players to like keep the play going and you know so I didn't I didn't play the panel but I remember as a kid I remember they get were giving out uh pennants for the hundred year anniversary of the team. I remember Frank Thomas, who was the largest human being I'd ever seen <laughs> up until that point. I read it up a home run to like dead center field. And it was, it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, I, I love this sport. Mm-hmm. And I remember around the time I was, a, 
I remember going to the library and going to like, they had like a baseball section and just checking out every oh baseball related oh book they had. I like had handles of books. I sat at a table and just read them one oh after yeah. the other. And I was, I was hooked. For us intelligent baseball fans, at least that is like a rite of passage. You go at a usually pretty young age and you check, usually it's a lot of biographies where you're just checking out anything you can about me. And probably the, the skinnier, the better, because then you can feel like you're, you're learning a whole ton of stuff. I guess today, maybe it's probably just like web pages. You're doing like Wikipedia or baseball yeah, reference or something. That, you're just going play after player. Yeah. I remember there was like a, what's it called? Like eyewitness books, just like an encyclopedia that was a, a thin <laughs> book, but it had a ton of knowledge. And I remember just going through that thing and yeah i still probably have some of my foundational like baseball paperbacks probably even still with me somehow boy this is really how you 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 come across the game now your first game was in 2001 yeah so and and probably part of i mean you know as a kid probably part of because i know uh even though my first experience was at an entirely different White Sox park. They still had the fireworks. It was still awe-inspiring and the White Sox hit home runs in that first game. So a big part of that is just like the, you know, like the fireworks, the crazy hubbub that goes on just when you hit a home run, it being Frank, the largest human being just killing a ball out to center field uh, does have to be a member. I mean, you're almost like you can't not be a White Sox fan after that. Yeah. Now, uh, I think another, uh, or at least maybe like a, an all-time favorite, and I think this is something we actually share because uh, uh, I was lucky enough to be at the game as well, uh, awe-inspiring experience like really none other I've experienced before and since, and I have been at more White Sox games, or at least for a longer period of time than you, Tyrone, and that was the blackout game in 2008, an incredible, incredible memory. Yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, to this day, the greatest game I've mm-hmm. ever been to. For a lot of reasons. I think first off, I remember like that team I was very attached to because like I was I was a, a, a White Sox fan in 2005 and I loved that team. But also like I remember 2008 where before that season, my mom finally agreed to get me cable. I had been trying for years because <laughs> back before that, I could watch games on WGM, which I think are on like Saturdays. But, right. you know, but 2008, I remember being able to watch every game and I was super invested in that team and it was an odd team, but <laughs> I I remember, you know, and that game was, um, I remember getting tickets the night before, and it was such an odd experience, too, because I like baseball. One of the reasons I love baseball is it's typically laid back, and it's yeah. every game up until I've been to that. It's, you know, it's obviously you want the team to win, and stuff, but people are kind of distracted during the game. It's kind of a leisurely affair, but that game, it's like, oh, everyone is locked in every single pitch you know I remember anytime the count got to two strikes people just started standing and it was yeah yeah, it was it was loud and it was just yeah and then it was just such a well-played game and another home run hit the center field you know (laughs) yeah really this is a theme with you the uh the thing that I that I think really stand among many things that stands out to me and, and maybe you as well is today I mean when I came into fandom my first game Tyrone 1977 so i've been watching games a little bit longer but i mean back then of course there was a lot more grab-ass nature of baseball today even in this century even going back that far uh 13 years now um there's i'm going to use the word contrived there's a lot more contrivance to everything you have your uh you 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 have the promotion that's been set maybe for months uh you have the uh, the introduction music there's so much you can count on that can start to become almost too rote 
The idea that the White Sox were playing a, a tiebreaker game, first of all, that they, I mean, they didn't back into it, but they played, they, you know, they, they beat three different teams on three consecutive days yep. to get there. Um, the fact that the promotion itself, there's no branding. They literally like knocked off. Yeah, it was, you know, I, still, like, I still have my towel from that day. <laughs> as we do, it's like they knocked over like a Bed Bath & Beyond semi and just said, okay, we're going to take these 20,000 uh, uh, black towels and just hand them out. And people are going to go nuts. For and they did. I mean, you remember looking up during really throughout that game, just people going nuts with, and I mean, all right, yeah. you know, it's getting a little, you know, it's getting a little soccer, it might make it a little weird, getting a little college sports, but I mean, the idea that everybody was that unified, so fired up and that there, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't like a stamp on it, you know, like even uh, though the world series run, they had the, the trend was a thunder sticks and there was a goofy like thunder stick. Everybody was hitting up the, I mean, the fact that it was just like, sort of like, Hey, you guys want a towel? It's black. We've never done this before. Let's just wave black towels. There's this and weird I, like charm to that game. Yeah. And I remember like beforehand, they like announced like, Hey, everybody wear black. And it was like, again, like everyone had yeah. just gotten yeah. tickets the day before. And <laughs> it had like near a hundred percent participation. Cause I remember they tried yeah. to continue that into the playoffs. And then I remember opening day the next year, they tried to do like, we're going to do another like blackout thing. And it, some people did it, some yeah. people didn't, but it was just, it was amazing to have like, that yeah. people be like, Oh, okay. All right. We'll do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, you are right. And, and, and when you look at photos or even at the timing at the game, yeah, there was very, I mean, it had to be a good 90% plus. You really didn't see much that wasn't, you know, certainly not white, you know, maybe just a dark color. But yeah, I, you know, I think me, my, my dad didn't want to go. He thought he was going to be bad luck. So I mean, my wife went with me and, you know, we we're all decked out and, you know, she's a good luck charm. So yeah, that was a, that was an extraordinary game. And, uh, you know, like I end up talking with people, oftentimes I end up being at the same games with, uh, people in some of their most memorable ones. Uh, one thing you're going to learn, and, and, and I should say, I should tell uh, listeners and the few who are watching, uh, that of course, uh, Tyrone's meet the players are going to be running along with this podcast. So you're going to get a chance if we don't cover it in this, in this chat, uh, to learn a little bit more about him, uh, uh reading, you know, that, that, that form, uh, one thing that comes up on that form was a uh, a love of cheesy 1980s hip hop. And I'm going to let you talk about that a little bit, Tyrone. But the one thing I, I do want to let you know, because it doesn't seem like many people remember this. And either I made it up and it's the cleverest thing ever or the dopiest thing ever, or it really did happen. And I think it did. Before there was ever walk up music, when Frank came up, of course, he was a huge phenomenon, right? And there was no such thing as walk-up music then. I mean, Nancy would maybe play a, a routine type of thing, maybe for some players. Usually it was mocking the other team, right? But the one thing I remember was she would play, I imagine it was just a button on her, on her uh, organ, but she would play this, like the drum fill from uh, Tone Loke, A Wild Thing. It would always be... And it was like, it was so, she was so... Uh, incongruous for baseball. It was so goofy. And I, I don't know, maybe Frank mm. wanted that, or maybe she just thought it, it, it but I, I remember it. I, I hope somebody else can validate this memory. I do think it happens. I'm pretty sure you can hear it if you if somehow tune into like, I guess it would be 1990 games or, or certainly 89. And, uh, you know, I, knowing that this was maybe a weak spot for you, I thought I would at least share that story because that was really probably the first walk-up music I ever remember and it was you know delightfully you know it had, it had a good cheese factor I know at the time it was, it was sort of like badass but you know looking back at it now it's like oh, yeah that was Frank Thomas's first walk-up music 
I will say that one of my like favorite things about going to games, especially when it was Nancy, was just like listening to all the different mm-hmm. things you would come up with for opposing players and just yeah. all the like obscure references that used mm-hmm. to just be a game I, I would play where I'm just mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, where, where does this song come from? Like, mm-hmm. why is she playing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes it really was like a yeah, you know, like a like a puzzle. Sometimes it's you know plainly obvious, and sometimes it's like, all right, hold yeah. on, I think I know the title. How is this relating to the guy who's coming up to the plate? And of course, it was usually you know chiding or a little derogatory toward the opposition. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, she's always a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, okay, uh, I guess I got to ask you because it's another thing that comes up on the in the Meet the Player survey, and that is uh old school simpsons fan so i guess i gotta ask what a, a favorite a favorite episode or i don't know a favorite i mean character i might, oh, might be too easy but yeah it's a favorite episode. i mean i i have so many i love um the softball episode home right the bat <laughs> i love the the monorail episode <laughs> just um i mean yeah um yeah they're I don't know. There's there's so many that I love because yeah, I think that the The Simpsons is probably the show I have seen the most amount of times, and I, mm-hmm. I also saw it at such like a formative yeah, time of my sure. life that it's kind of like I'm not even sure if The Simpsons are funny or if like that's just how I like it completely wrote my sense of humor. Right. Like oh sure. You know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely hit on a couple of my favorites, and of course, yeah, the fact that there is even any connection at, at any time. To baseball, of course, you have the the uh, the episode uh, where Homer's the uh, uh, the, uh, the the mascot. <laughs> Mas- <laughs> yeah. Hunger strike. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, all right. Uh, actually, speaking of baseball, I went to a game in um, the Albuquerque Isotopes, ah, and they actually have like a lot know. of they have like Simpsons stuff there, which is kind <laughs> of a fun little crossover. You, you come on, you gotta lean into that, especially because it's probably gonna get yep. you a little bit of scratch. Otherwise, like, all right, I scopes, yep. whatever. But yeah, <laughs> you 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 work the Simpsons and get that permission for sure. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, I guess before we maybe take a break and talk a little bit more, the White Sox team itself. Let's just talk about a little bit of what sort of you know fan you consider yourself, Tyrone, and, and the sorts of maybe um contribution at South Sox you think you're going to make are you a little bit more of an analytical uh writer are you a little bit more of a, a blustery uh <laughs> yelling colorful fan I mean because we have all sorts here <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I like to think I could combine the two I don't know I think I'm always somewhat more on the analytical side just in terms of like I don't know when I like I have a question trying to be like I wonder why this is and then yeah. usually trying to research and try to figure out why it is like I feel like like of late I've been like looking up to like looking into like pitcher spin rates just because I'm like curious you know like I was like I was at the game yesterday and I was curious okay what is what is Garrett Crochet's spin rate doing right now because I was you know I noticed his miles per hour down a little bit I was you know and and I think is at least baseball lets you kind of look into stuff like that but I so I I tend to lean more towards that side, although I can definitely <laughs> yell, fiery and blustery, <laughs> you know. Hey, you had the blackout I, game. It was formative. Come on. It's true. Well, I think, <laughs> I think too, for me, anyone who knows me, I'm a very, like, laid-back person. And I always feel like sports, and especially baseball, is, like, my avenue to just yell at the screen and just, you know, like, that's where I get my anger out. <laughs> I don't think you're alone there. I think there's a number yeah. of people. I might consider myself <laughs> along those same lines. Sure, because uh, – especially with this team, you know, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's also, yeah. Well, it was in a weird way. The rebuild was nice because I kind of, you kind of are like, well, they're just, they're building towards the future and like individual games don't matter that much. And it kind of made everything a little bit more laid, relaxed, you know, <laughs> whereas now it feels like every game there's, it's so much more stressful and it's, yeah. the wins are more fun. So I, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I like that, but it's, but yeah. it's something for, I think when, you know, they make decisions I don't agree with or yeah. like that, it, it definitely is way more frustrating. Well, Tyrone, speaking of decisions we don't agree with, I think we're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, if you do happen to be watching us on YouTube, uh, just freeze your screen for a second because nothing's going to happen. But for the rest of you listening on the podcast, you're going to hear a message or two. We will be right back in just a minute with the second half of Southside Sox podcast, number 49, Tyrone Palmer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, White Sox fans. My name is Brett Valentini. I'm hosting Southside Sox podcast number 49, and I'm lucky enough to have a guest who is a new member to Southside Sox. It's Tyrone Palmer. Thanks again for joining us, joining the staff, and for joining me on this podcast. It's good to be here. All right. We have learned, we've got a lot of your back of the baseball card stats and bio information out of the way. That was the first half of this program. We're going to focus a little bit more on the White Sox team itself, which is something we cannot help but do every time we have a Southside Sox podcast. Uh, And I do want to, because we haven't got a chance to talk to you yet, Tyrone, and this is a, this is a big season. The window of contention is clearly open. Uh, There are a lot of hopes, a lot of, um, Breath held, and right in at right at the beginning of the off season, we had a big change uh, with uh, with the manager, and then we had an off season where there were, I guess you could say, a little bit of splash, but I think left a number of fans wanting. So I guess I want to start by asking you just what your assessment of what your expectations of the off season were and how well they were met. So I don't know. I think clearly this was like the like the first year going into the year. It was kind of like we could win the world series if everything mm-hmm. breaks right. And so for me, I was kind of hoping for, for them to address some of the holes with things that weren't question marks. So that's where I kind of, you know, so I, I was hoping that they would spend a bit more than they probably did. And I was, you know, I was, so I feel like I was a bit let down a little bit by the off season. Cause I think like when you think of things like right field, which has been a hole for forever since, Jermaine died, I guess, you know, it's been, you know, and so, uh, and it was one of the things where they kind of replaced it with a guy who can't really stay healthy, <laughs> you know, it was more of a bargain kind of pick. And I, I think, you know, I, I always kind of hope that they'll like shop the top of the market. And I feel like outside of relief pitching, they never <laughs> seem to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I like Liam Hendricks. I like him. As, he seems like a good person, and I, I, I enjoy watching him pitch. So I'm not upset that they signed him, but it's kind of, you know, it's one of the things where I think there were other other places I was like, I don't, you know, I think they could have went a bit harder at, although some of the things worked out. Like, I think I I was definitely not necessarily a big fan of bringing Rodon back, and that was a very wrong opinion that I had. So, I, you know, and I think, you know, I wasn't crazy about, like, 
just giving Dylan Cease the rotation spot, but he's mm-hmm. definitely earned it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, but I, you know, it's something where I'm hopeful that, you know, they might be, you know, willing to trade for some of the p- positions that they didn't address in the offseason. Yeah. But yeah, I think what's yeah. challenging with the White Sox is, you know, we've been, it's been hammered into, well, I'll say, both of us for the entirety of our fandom, even though mine stretches back further than yours, uh, that there's limited funds. And that's, I think most fans probably do begrudgingly accept that. Uh, Or whether or not you do, it makes it even more important that you spend wisely. And even the Liam Hendricks, though, you could argue that's, that was why spending, it was putting your most really all of your free agent money essentially all of your free agent money in an offseason into the one spot where there probably was the least urgency to address of course we've seen how the seasons turned out where they really rolled the dice and got lucky with the rotation so what seemed like an outrageous dereliction of duty turned out to be like well so so far so good uh and the bullpen has seemed maybe a little little shakier than than we would have thought so maybe the hundred you know maybe that was really really necessary but the idea that you're going to go out and throw $8 million at Adam Eaton on like the first day of winter meetings as if somehow yeah. he was going to get snapped up for more somewhere. Uh, it was just very strange. The inconsistency, and we're going to get to another inconsistency in just a second, but the inconsistency <laughs> is what's frustrating. I think as a fan, because you think, okay, if these are the rules, all right, let's see how you play by them. And it's not to say you can just, you know, this isn't a rotisserie game. This isn't, this isn't uh, fantasy baseball where you just pick the guy you want or you know wait to draft him in free agency. But the idea that they say one thing and they execute so differently can just be, it does make you want to throw your hands up sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think for me, it, it's tough. Cause I think, you know, I think at least from what I've seen, there's, there's very few times when I get like a ton of added value from players. Like I think of like, like I look at like certain teams that are really well run, like, I don't know, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Dodgers and they both, but talking the Dodgers having, gobs of money to throw at people they also are really good at turning like so-so prospects into a lot of value whereas i think with the white Sox, they kind of they're they haven't shown themselves to be very good at that which is why you know you look at like their glut of like all of the outfield prospects that they've had over the years that have just fizzled out and it's so i think for them especially it's hard when you don't really you're not great at development you're also not willing to spend for elite talent it kind of just Mm -hmm. makes it so it just is hard to put a top line major league roster, at least with any sort of regularity. Yeah. And as much as it's frustrating to see the White Sox sort of shop, well, certainly not shop at the, it's far from the top of the market, but even arguments can be made. Hey, even with what they did in terms of just like picking up Jake Lamb, which is a ridiculous move. Well, okay. He's been a positive enough player. It's like, okay, they're not like losing a ton of money there. You know, sometimes knowing what they do when they do spend, because even Liam Hendricks is going to be hard to pay off that contract in terms of his value. Uh, sometimes you almost want to say, okay, maybe don't shop at the top of the market because you guys sort of make weird decisions with your professional scouting. And maybe it is best that you sort of dumpster dive because then it can only hurt you. So no more Mazzara can only hurt yeah. you so much. You're out 5 million and everybody gets frustrated, but it's not a commitment to a guy that you completely, you know, you know, blew your gut feeling on. And now you're hooked yeah. to him for three, four years. That's a ridiculous way for a fan to have to think. But the, the truth is, we it's really touch and go whether we have to think that way because they haven't proven themselves as much as you can say, well, man, everything's Billy Hamilton was great when he was, when it was active. Uh, uh, Brian Goodman's come up and actually, you know, been somewhat of a positive player. 
<laughs> that's not what that's yeah. not how the Chicago White Sox should be attacking the market and filling out their roster. And the fact that we're having to sort of like golf clap the the notion that uh, okay, these weird moves that just sort of fell into their lap uh, are working out okay. And I mean, we still got a lot of season to play. That's yeah. frustrating that we sort of have to be happy with that. <laughs> yeah. The uh, other big move in the offseason, um, and another thing that was a, a zag when the, we anticipated and were told the White Sox were going to zig was the hiring of Tony La Russa. And I think, by and large, it's been panned. Uh, certainly at the time it was panned. Uh, there are folks now you'll talk to who will say, well, you know, look at the record. You know, how can you complain? Or, or you know, or he's a manager of the year. I believe Scott Greger in the Herald said, Tony Russo was a manager of the year candidate, yeah. which I can't <laughs> fathom. But um, I think by and large, certainly in the offseason, most people are like, what is going on with that? And I'm going to guess you fall in line with that, but I'm interested to know what your take on hearing. First, maybe the rumors, which I think most of us said, this is a very strange prank. This isn't April, so I don't know what's going on here. And then when it actually came true. Yeah, it was, well, I remember when I first, saw it I think it was because it was Bob Nightingale who I think first reported it and it was which made me think that initially I was like well it's not true because clearly the Sox <laughs> would, would never do this but but since Bob is like Jerry's chosen yeah. reporter clearly this is just him doing a favor you know like, that that was what I thought I was just like that is clearly what it is and then slowly it became like oh no this is this is actually happening which I think for a while like I it might, like I couldn't process it <laughs> that is what they would choose to do because I feel like for the most part every step of like the rebuild up until now they've kind they've done really well they've done kind of the thing you'd expect them to do you know and so this was the first time where, where it felt like clearly like Jerry meddling in a way where because mm-hmm. I think initially it was like they weren't sure they were going to rebuild because it was like well Jerry might not want to rebuild and right. eventually they had to like convince him to get there but right. he, he did and it's like okay Jerry's kind of you know letting letting Rick Hahn do what he does and so where, but now it's like, nope, he's forcing his yeah. manager onto the team. Yeah. And so I think, you know, so for a lot of reasons, I wasn't a fan of it. One, I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of Tony Larusa as a person necessarily. And I, and I think it just, it's also a hard sell when it's just someone hasn't been managing for, yeah. you know, a long time. And I think, you know, we've seen, especially baseball, it's, it changes drastically from year to year, even what strategies are effective, yeah. what, you know, and like, I mean, it was even a case, you know, early this year of like Tony Russo not knowing a rule, which yep. is one of those things where, I mean, it, this is his first year back since that rule has been a thing. So it's kind of, it makes sense. Maybe he wouldn't know it. And, you know, so I think, it was just kind of a weird fit and I'm still not crazy about it. It's also, I think a testament to baseball where managers for the most part, I don't think matter that much. You know, I think there's a limit to how much you can at least in any specific game, you can really hurt your team. So I think on some level, I mean, I think that's why it's kind of funny to me where people are saying, Oh, maybe he'll win manager of the year. And I think that's, if he does win manager, that'll be like just the kind of, testament to that theory that managers don't matter that much you know yeah you know and I think uh, yeah but I think it I think too the frustrating thing is I think ideally the way it's supposed to work is the general manager hires a manager that way you kind of have consistency with like how you're building the roster and how you're managing the roster at least to have some level of consistency there and I mean even with like the you know signing of Liam Hendricks you the only way he's 
potentially worth the amount of money you're giving him is if he's more than just a, yeah. you know, push button. Okay. We yep. have a save situation. He pitches. And if it's not a mm-hmm. save situation, he doesn't like, no, he needs to be your kind of, it's a high leverage situation. We're throwing mm-hmm. him out there reliever. And that was not what Tony Luso saw him as. And so I think that's just one example of like, okay, clearly, you know, not everyone's on the same page here. Yeah. It, it's funny to think too, because you think of a, a young manager or maybe a, a player who's just turned manager as needing a bench coach who's sort of going to be that guy who's going to show him the ropes. And in this case with Arusa, I, I think one thing that could have smoothed this out better was having a bench coach who could have been that conciliary again, whether maybe he was, he was younger, he was more engaged, whatever, whatever the compliment was going to be. And it still could have been a guy from the Larusa, um, you know, bullpen, uh, but yeah. a guy who was going to play. And for all we know, Miguel Cairo is doing that. He's obviously he's, he's not visible whatsoever. So we really know nothing about what he's, you know, I, to my knowledge, I have no real clue about what his function is and, and what he does beyond, you know, whatever the rote duties are. Um, and, and I think that would have helped sell it a little bit as well. And of course, in the off season, a guy like Miguel, who's not going to be getting, you know, visible opportunities and not going to be interviewed and, and, and steal the thunder from Tony, you're not going to know that. The fact that even this deep into the season, we really, we don't know what this coaching staff is. And we've had the situation like when Lucas Giolito, you know, claimed uh, post game that he was gassed even though Ethan Katz has gone yeah. out, had gone out and talked to him. Grandal's out there, who's, you know, really probably the manager on the field. Uh, LaRusse's in the dugout. You know, why, I mean, the, the very strange finger pointing that was going on there, you know, that was odd. And again, maybe growing pains very early in the season, but I'm not really sure we, we see a, a well-oiled machine yet either. And if somehow there was a little bit of a, you know, it's nice that Ethan Katz is there in terms of sort of like a little bit more, um, new age, newer thinking, um, new experience in the game, um, influence. And Frank Manichino is, is, is sort of crazy and, and nuts. And he, I, he's, he's, I think he's, he seems like a fun influence. I don't know necessarily if he's positive or negative, especially the offense he's playing uh, these days. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Miguel Cairo is a, is a, is a real uh, fulcrum here. And I just, I don't know enough about him. And I haven't, I don't get a lot of encouragement that he's, he's sort of this like, like a steady hand or like a, like a right-hand man. And I guess we're not supposed to know that bench coaches are, I guess are supposed to be invisible, but I think that would help mitigate the fact that it's like, where's this guy coming from? He's been out 10 years, you know, and, and some of the mistakes made like the, you know, that, that rule uh, uh, that he, I mean, that's something somebody should have caught. I mean, it's not necessarily even all on Tony. I mean, I was a buck stops with him, but the situation with Lucas and being and, and gassed, and there's been a number yeah. of them where it's like, well, Wait, hold, is everybody just, are they scared of him? Uh, you know, is everybody sort of clacking out because, you know, he's all a famer and he keeps showing, you know, showing his ring or something. I, I don't really get the dynamic, but uh, let's hope yeah. perhaps that your theory that managers don't really have much of an impact is the case because yeah, yeah, I'm I, not sure we're going to have a positive impact this year. And I, well, I think it's one of the things where I think also, I think especially over the course of a regular season, I don't know if they matter as much. I think a lot of the mistakes and stuff get kind of washed away by like variants and random stuff. But I think, the hard part is when they matter, especially if like is in the playoffs and that's when everything gets amplified. And that's one where, you know, yeah, that might be an issue, but it, it, it's very odd too with the staff. Cause I, I actually, I really like the staff for the most part outside of Tony, but it's also like, there's very little that comes like that comes out about them. You know, I feel like they don't really talk to the public very much. And, yeah. you know, like I think it was, 
yesterday that like Dallas Keuchel was complaining about getting taken mm-hmm. out of that game. And like, there's been numerous times where pitchers have complained about their usage. And yeah. I remember back when it was Cooper here, it was kind of understood that he was handling a lot of the pitching changes. Right. Like he was kind of, he might as well have been the manager for right. at least the pitching component for a lot of years. And I, I assume that that is definitely not Ethan Katz's role, but I don't know how much is his role. How much yeah. is he talking to Tony? What is their relationship like? And that's something that, I mean, I yeah, we just don't know at this point. Yeah, boy, I I'm, I'm I apologize for allowing Tony Lewis to dominate too big a portion of your debut podcast, Tyrone. <laughs> but unfortunately, he is sort of like the black cloud that's hovering over this whole season, and it's it is sort of a drag. And I know this makes me open to criticism from other fans, including our, our readers of Southside Sox for being too negative to say that there's a little bit of a guilt factor in how this is going. And thankfully there's been like a couple weeks where it seems like it's cooled down. Maybe even like, maybe we're pushing a month now since you're mean, I don't know that there's necessarily a major thing aside from what Dallas said uh, just recently. Uh, you sort of, you hate to sort of feel sort of guilty about what's going on here. And also sort of like look around the corner, like what is going to happen? Because I'm just, there's a part of me that still just thinks this whole thing is going to get torpedoed because it's just such a bizarre situation. And again, that's why I'm hoping that you're right. And that a manager does have little to no impact because I don't see how there's a positive impact to come out of having him for 162 games right now, just run yeah. differential wise. You, you see the white Sox are underperforming the run differential and whether how much that falls on the manager. Uh, I do a thing for the site with managerial uh, war, uh, which is also has not been positive uh, by no means, uh, not the worst, not Bevington level, but also not very good. Um, but okay. Speaking of that, let's, let's snapshot as we sort of look, we, we assess the team now and look ahead to at least maybe between now and the all-star break, if not the rest of the season, White Sox 45 and 32, two and a half up on Cleveland. Uh, been a first place team now for a significant period of time. Run differential, pl- uh, differential plus 81, uh, fifth in the game. That projects to a 99 win season. Would not be bad. Definitely would outpace most anybody's uh, wildest desires before the season. Uh, that would put them 19 games, uh, winning the division by 19 games over Cleveland. Nobody else in the AL Central, the awful AL Central, even has a positive run differential. It seems like it's going to be quite difficult for the White Sox not to win this division. If you just take their winning percentage, their pace is a 95 win season. Both of those, I think, are much better than most people would have thought going into the season. That said, the team has struggled. The offense is definitely in trouble. It's strange that the White Sox have what you would say maybe average amount of injuries. It's just so strangely balanced. The pitching staff has been lucky enough. We'll knock on wood again, that there's been almost nothing wrong with them. And it's really substantially hit almost completely hit the offensive side. And we're really starting to see signs of that. People are saying Nick Madrigal was sort of the tipping point. And that strange as it sounds may be the case because the offense is Definitely not been the same since he's gone. Piled on top of losing Eloy. Piled on top of losing Luis Robert. And do you think that without um, an injection, be a trade, or maybe even from Charlotte, uh, that the White Sox can sort of get their offensive mojo back? Let's just say short term. Let's say between now and the uh, 14-ish or so games, between now and the All-Star break. It's hard because I think they're just – there's so many not great players that they have to play every day. You know, I think it, it 
it honestly feels very reminiscent of like during the rebuild years where you had a couple of like, you know, really great players and then just a bunch of, you know, random people, you know, you know, or it's just, it's, you know, I think it's just hard when you have to play Larry Garcia, you have to play Jake Lamb every day. You have to play, you know, Danny Mendick, you have to, you know, and there's just, you know, and it's especially when like, Tim Anderson is he's been okay, but he hasn't been up right. to what he was the past couple of years. Right. You know, Yohan Mankata is, is having a pretty good year, but it's, you know, he's the power is just gone, yeah. you know, and then Jose Abreu is, Jose Abreu. is scuffling right now. And he's, he does this sometimes. So there's a chance that he just will get super hot the next mm-hmm. few weeks and, you know, look like an MVP type player. But I think it's just, it's, it's hard because again, there just is no real like depth to the lineup where I think yeah. at a certain point you need you just need like I think that was why some people are, have been excited about like potentially getting like Eduardo Escobar because huh. he at least would be a, a like a major league caliber yeah. player yeah which for this lineup would be huge yeah. and still doesn't knock you down still doesn't knock you down by any stretch I mean think about it Tyro we're talking about really four legitimate let's say star level offensive players Yasmani, Yohan Tim, Jose, really nobody else, uh, healthy or not, you know, Andrew Vaughn, uh, too early. You mean Mercedes, you know, too early to, to call that. Uh, Zach Collins not stepped up in any way. Um, and when those, I mean, it seems like when those guys are clicking well enough, and, and not to say that all four have been clicking consistently, you know, when the socks were hot, that they were all clicking. Obviously, Yasmani's had his weird, you know, struggles that Jose's had a generally down year. Uh, but the, uh, the the pitching plus say two or three of those guys clicking is good enough to win at a nice clip when fewer of those guys are clicking and the pitching even takes maybe a little step back. Now you're seeing a team that's, you know, maybe 500 team. Yeah. I remember I saw a stat yesterday and I can't remember it exactly, but it basically was that like the Soxes here have been essentially unbeatable when they score four runs or more. Like it's, you know, you just – you don't need this, at least yeah. as long as the pitching staff stays what it has been. The Sox don't need an amazing offense. They just – you know, but the problem is right now they're just – they're they've been really bad. And it's it's weird, too, seeing a White Sox team that just doesn't hit home runs. Yeah. Like, you know, but just that, that in and of itself is just odd. Yeah. You know, where they are continually getting out-homered by whoever they play. Yeah. The yeah, the margin of error, uh, and, and again, thankfully, in a in a wider context, in this AL Central, I mean the, the Twins. I mean that we got the Twins coming in, game postponed as we're we're talking now. We have three more games with the Twins. For some reason, I'm I'm witnessing Twins fans starting to yap. They're eleven and a half games out of first place. They've had the most disappointing season by far of any team in the league. They're tied for third place, which is also tied for last place. Uh, they're awful. They've had bad luck, but they're awful. Uh, so it's funny that they're yapping. It's funny that they're yapping. But the truth is, I, even I the team – yeah, go ahead. No, I will say the, the Twins are where some of my, like, fan irrationality comes in, where I'm still <laughs> I'm still a little afraid of them. And I know I shouldn't be. There's no logical reason. Like, they would need to, like – play like 700 baseball yes let me soothe year. let me soothe you yes i believe they have to win two out of three games just to get the 90 wins now granted 90 wins can easily win it could be fewer than that that could win this division but that's a clip 
that's going to have to go through Chicago. It's going to have to still go through some decent teams. If they were just playing maybe Kansas City the rest of the way, I'd say, all right, maybe there's a chance. Uh, and of course there is a chance, but we're deep into the season. They want to say, oh, you know, uh, there's still this many games, but the season's almost half over and you are stuck deep in last place. Now, of course, of those three teams tied for last place and third place, of course, the Twins uh, uh, would, would pack the most fear into anyone, of course. Uh, this is a team that's supposed to be a 90-plus win team. But uh, uh, the, the point I was, was beginning to make before deciding to uh, veer off the road and, uh, and cheap shot uh, the Twins was uh, there does seem to be margin of error in terms of just getting this division and just getting into the playoffs. It's by no means a coast. It's by no means a, a gimme for the White Sox. But it seems like they're going to have to do a lot of work not not to win it and not to be in position with Cleveland throughout the rest of the year. The problem is we have these two paths now as, as fans, we have to say, okay, there's the, the calm that we can feel over the likelihood that this team is going to be clearly in contention and, and probably in, in great position to make the playoffs. But then there's, well, okay, where do we go? Where do we go from there? Once we're in the playoffs, because last year was disappointing. It was nice to be there. It was nice to win a first game. And then they just went, they went flat and they, they weren't up for it, even though on paper, they probably were a better team than Oakland. Uh, you can foresee a very similar thing happening. And some of that isn't their fault because they had some, some key guys go down, but other teams have key guys go down too. And the idea that the White Sox are so close to being a team that's like not a factor at all once they get to the playoffs is, is frightening and frustrating because the, because the window's open and the window doesn't last forever. Yeah. It's a situation where, uh, the, the, as much as you don't want to say the, the White Sox have to do something, and I know they're going to be somewhat limited in, in what they maybe can do, um, because they still do have core guys. I mean, you're not going to get you know two core outfielders when you've still got Eloy coming back and you've still got Luis coming back. Uh, you, I don't even know how hard you're going to dive into the second base market when Nick Madrigal is, is your guy. You know, uh, Adam Frazier, yeah. of course, can play all, all over the place. So, you know, that helps and maybe makes that a, a legitimate acquisition or, or, or trade target. Uh, or Eduardo, you know, sort of a, a rental, you know, glorified rental, uh, not, not too, too high a cost. Um, there's only so much the White Sox can do. And it's frustrating, too, because, you know, the, you know, there's going to be some fan, you know, maybe outrage, uh, depending on what it is they do. Um, I know the hands are tied a little bit. It's, it's hard to preach patience uh, when you're dealing with injuries like this. And it's going to be hard for a kind of come out and say, well, you know, the money was spent, the money was spent in rehab, getting Luis back, <laughs> spent mm-hmm. rehab, getting Eloy back. And you sort of know you're going to hear that. And, and it's sort of depressing to know that's probably what we're going to hear in a month. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think what scares me is I do feel like they're going to kind of view Eloy and Luis returning is like, that's like our acquisitions. And, you know, he's going to spin it. We acquired two all-stars at the trade deadline. And that's good. And I think with both of them, I'm not, I'm not a hard, I'm not confident in how good they'll be when they come back. Just because they both had kind of injuries that like, you know, Luis had an injury that tends to kind of linger even when they come back. Like, I mean, we're seeing that even with like hamstrings and stuff like even yeah. we seem like Adam Engel try to come back, you know, it, it just, it's been fits and starts this idea that, you know, Luis Robert will come back and just be a hundred percent and play the rest of the year. That seems risky. And then with Eloy, like that's a weird non-baseball injury. Yeah. I don't know how that'll affect the swing. I don't think anyone really knows the like, counting on either of them it would be nice and i hope they do come back and that would be a wonderful 
physical like boost to the team, but also I don't want the Sox to kind of operate just on the assumption that we're getting both of them back at 100%, you know, just in time for the, you know, September run through the playoffs. Yeah, it's a challenge. You got to juggle what you consider this future to be and this window contention to be and the fact that you've committed significantly to both Eloy and Luis. Um, but there is the matter of this year and you're not going to get, I mean, they're not coming back tomorrow. If they can even come back, they're not coming back at full production tomorrow. And the matter of getting from tomorrow to, let's say, September 1st, let's say the playoffs, that's big. And, you know, it it isn't in the bank yet. I mean, it does seem like the four other teams do want to hand this division to the White Sox, but it's not in the bank. Um, And the White Sox seem determined maybe to make more of a race of it than they should. Uh, and let's hope that can recover because this stretch to the all-star break really is the time it's, it's been said in a couple of podcasts already. This is the time to fatten up. This is by far the easiest streak of the season or certainly the remaining season. Uh, even though you can say the twins are playing better. Ooh, they're scary. Um, you know, obviously the Mariners were playing better and, and uh, proved it to the White Sox. Uh, somehow they dropped one or two of the pirates. Uh, let's not start talking like, Oh, well, the Tigers are playing better. So that's why they took two from the White Sox. This is a stretch where they need to be winning uh, certainly majority of the games, if not double figure games, you know, uh, 10 yeah. out of many 15 or, or 16, it's, it, it's really got to be uh, because they need to get a little fat going into the loss break. Cause they've got really until the start of September before they get any sort of breather. And I, I hate to think they're going to enter September, like, you know, uh, a deadlocked. I, I do hope Rick Khan is able to somehow find a way to fortify this team just enough. It really can be as simple as just one guy. It doesn't even have to be a major guy. It could be Eduardo Escobar. Just enough of a boost, just to sort of stop the bleeding. It gives Tim Anderson a chance maybe to get his feet under him to, to start hitting the way he can, get a little more protection perhaps. Uh, it could just be that one piece. And so far, Rick Khan's been pretty smooth in terms of, I don't know, Billy Hamilton, you know, wh- whatever. I'm not sure how that comes about, but all right. It, it did sort of fit there for a while. Uh, let's hope he can keep that luck going because he's been on a nice roll. I hope his luck doesn't run out because we're in trouble. If yeah. That's the case. Yeah. And there's a lot, I don't know. I think it's hard because you kind of have to balance the like trying to not like shorten the window, but also understand that this is kind of a, this is one of those years where you're getting contributions from all these players. Just that, you know, the Sox typically don't when they make bargain bin kind of <laughs> addition to the roster. Usually it doesn't end up being like Billy Hamilton or Brian Goodwin yeah. where it's like, Oh, this is like an actual player, yeah. you know? And then you have like this pitching staff, which is far and away like the best in baseball and you're getting, you know, career years from Carlos Rodon. And, you know, we finally see Dylan Cease looking great. And you just, you know, but like maybe the biggest question mark is, is, you know, is Lucas Giolito. And that, that tells you how strong yeah. everything is. And I think pitching is really random sometimes in baseball. And so who knows what the rotation will look like next year or the year after. So it kind of is only thing too, where you kind of, you want to, you know, you want to strike when you have this amount of talent, you know, and this level of pitching. Like, I mean, back in 05, you know, you yeah. had just like a, a weird bullpen year where just everyone was great. And, you know, sometimes that just happens. We've been so hyped about this notion. And I think you alluded to it when Jerry Reinsdorf was convinced to actually rebuild um, instead of this sort of maybe halfway rebuild, sort of that Ken Williams influence of like, nope, don't ever, don't ever give up the ship, you know, keep pushing. That, uh, 
you know, it's sort of been sold to us. Okay, this has been a legit rebuild. There were some painful years and now we have a window. And that's great that I listen. I'm psyched like any fan would be like, man, this whole decade could be greatness for the White Sox, right? But that's also, that can also be a tagline. You know, they could never get there. And and that's this part, you know, especially season like this, like it starts to scare you a little bit because A, you've seen some things go wrong. Of course, we have next year where we don't even know if we're going to have a season because of all the labor stuff and all this spider yeah. tax stuff is certainly not necessarily helping that and, re- and and revealing the hand of management. But then people don't like it on South Side's action. I talk that way, so I'll stop talking that way. <laughs> like there's a conspiracy theory out there. But, you know, this window thing is as, as jazzed as I am as a fan. It's like, man, they're going to be good for years. Well, you know, I don't want that to be the penalty. The, the, this is this like... Uh, this drug they're giving us where it's like, well, just, okay, just keep smiling. Cause 2023 is our year. You know, of course, if they yeah. don't make it, you know, okay, fine. Of course, it's no guarantee there's going to be world series championships, but the idea that's just like, well, we're going to just keep punting. We're extending the window. It's like, well, okay, hold on. At a certain point, it's too early to call BS on it yet. But at some point you're going to say, all right, no, hold on. We got to win more than one playoff game. We got to dominate a season and maybe win the division by, you know, 10 games instead of making it this, this nail biting thing. Uh, and I, you know, too early to see how it projects, but I mean, there is this other side of this window, which sounds great. That's like, well, we're just never going to get there. It starts to sound like that thing that's been claimed this attribution to Jerry Reinsdorf of like, it's, it's best to be in second place every year and just not quite ever get there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want the cheese just to keep dang- getting dangled season after season. And I hope that Rick Hahn doesn't approach as much as I don't envy where he's at in terms of, all right, what, you know, what do I sacrifice this year? Uh, or what I would sacrifice of the future for this year. Uh, it's a tough balance, but it can't just be like, I'm not going to touch the future because yeah, you don't know. The injuries alone this year have told you. You don't know. You don't know if Lucas Gilo is sticking around. You don't know if Liam Hendricks has another year after this. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, there is part of it that says, listen, you better uh, put the, uh, you know, press the metal uh, and accelerate into the season because you, you lean in at two and a half games up. At least you're in the mix. There's no guarantee in 2022 or three or four or five, the White Sox are even a playoff team. So I hope he finds that balance. Uh, yeah. Because I, well, I think too, I was looking at like in my like twenty years of Sox fandom, I think there's <laughs> been, may, there's been two teams before this one that I legitimately thought could win the World Series. And that was '05 and '06. Other than that, every team has kind yeah. of, even the teams that have done well have. There's always yeah. been kind of yeah, but they're not winning a World Series. Right. And so this, so and you know, it's it's not as if I've you know I think that that's been their entire franchise history. There haven't been a lot of shots they've had, and so I feel like this is a rare year mm-hmm. and so I, I think it is important to like try to capitalize and not just you know kind of say well you know next year the year after that because i mean you know like i said it's the pitching like even if like you look a couple of years down the road it's like okay maybe you've got giolito but then after that it's okay dylan cease he's looked good for the first half of this year but it's not like a huge track record there you have dallas keichel and i'm i'm not convinced how well he's going to age you know and i mean it, who knows so it's like just and the Sox haven't shown me kind of any ability to draft and develop to like kind of surround the core with sustainable talent. So for me, I'm kind of very much like, let's, let's focus on this year and then hopefully win this year. And then we'll start thinking about a longer window, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I doubt, um, 
Jake losing Jake Berger's gonna haunt us. No offense to Jake. Losing Gavin Sheets is gonna haunt us. And even if they do blossom and become regular somewhere else, I mean, this is the Ken Williams approach, and he he caught a lot of trouble for being the win now guy who's willing to cash out prospects, but very few of those prospects came back to haunt them. They do exist. Uh, and certainly he had a couple terrible deals, uh, certainly Gio Gonzalez deal and getting Nick Swisher and then get rid of Nick Swisher. I mean, there were some bad moments. He was not a perfect GM, but the general philosophy of, of push it helped. The, the only team that matters is now 26 guys on the White Sox. Really, that's all it is. Those are the only guys contributing yeah. to White Sox wins. I, I don't disagree with that philosophy. I don't know how differently Rick Hahn takes it. I assume he's at least pretty much bought into that thinking, but you really have to. They're there now. You don't know you're ever going to yeah. get, they may never, they may, the pitching stretch they just had, it may never happen again. It's already shown a little bit of crack, you know, there's been, you know, I don't know if it's uh, spider tech stuff for the spin rates and all that. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of step back. They're still great and they're still healthy, which is almost as good as being great. Uh, yeah. but you don't know the second half of the season, there's not going to be just trouble after trouble, little, you know, little, hopefully no big injuries, little injuries, the little stuff where Lucas, you know, he needs a couple of weeks or, or some bullpen injuries, whatever it is. They've been very blessed. As, as much as they haven't been blessed on the offensive side, they've been blessed pitching, which let's face it, is probably more important in this game. Uh, come on. I mean, you you got to cash that in. Um, you know, don't kill guys, but this could be the only year. You do have to look at this as, as perhaps being the only year. I know that's sort of crazy things because we've been sold on this window. And of course, I believe they're going to be very strong for years to come, but you can't worry about you know, you know, you have a yeah. season next year, so don't I'll, worry about those years. Let's win in 2021. I also think it's kind of because, I mean, the Sox don't have a great farm system at this point, so there aren't really, they don't have a, any prospect that, like, you can say if they, if the Sox get rid of them, that will have any real tangible effect on the window. Like, you hope guys like Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson end up being, you know, being reliable starters, but, like, that's not you know, that's impossible to really forecast. And so, yeah, the Sox, like, I don't think whether or not they're good in 2025, 26, 27 is that you can't like, you know, it's not going to be because they traded Jake Berger away. Well, and the good, the good news, Tyrone, as far as I know, they haven't changed the rules where it's not as if you spin a roulette wheel and you might only get 10 picks when you, you get the same full amount of picks. Now, granted, they're lower picks, you know, okay. And there's a difference between a number one pick or a top five pick or top 10 pick and a 20th pick, like they're going to be picking this year, but you get the same amount of picks every year. You, you, you can sign as many free agents as you want. You, the White Sox don't even have like a second rookie team. You're going to add yeah. another team. You can get guys to play for your team. It's not like somehow if you win a championship, like you got to pump the draft for the next year. You can keep those guys running out there because there are going to be other Jerry Kelly's and Matthew Thompson's and Jake Burgers and Micker Adolfo's. And, you know, I guess we'll see, uh, you know, I think we're on the same page and that we, we do want to see him go for it. And, and certainly things are looking really good right now. And, you know, Tyrone, you've, you've, you've hopped on at the right time. You're hopping on to Southside Sox when the White Sox in first place. And that's been a hard time. You know, if you're, if yeah. you're trying to jump into that, uh, that jump rope line, it hasn't really come up very often, as you know, over the last 20 years, uh, it's been sort of rare to be able to jump on at this sort of time. So it's, it's very good timing for us here, you yeah. know? 
So it is good to have you. Uh, thank you for taking some time to join us. Introduce yourself a little bit to everybody. Uh, again, accompanying this will be the Meet the Players uh, for Tyrone Palmer. So you get to learn a little bit about them. A couple things maybe we didn't cover in this podcast. And of course, you get his thoughts on what's led up to this season and how this season is going. Um, I hope certainly uh, sooner than later, we'll have you on another podcast, group situation or one-on-one uh, with me so we can talk more about the team. And hopefully we'll be talking still ha- even happier times. We will have somehow padded the two and a half game lead and we are just uh, inevitably marching toward some postseason play for the first time. in well, I guess we'll call it, we'll count 2020, but for real, for, oh, geez, more years than I'd like to think. Boy, back to a, the first time. Back to a blackout game. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. And the first time back-to-back playoff appearances ever. Yeah. So. I'll try, I'll try to make the asterisk for that one very faint on site, but yeah, I'll still throw the asterisk. I think we've got to go 21-22 before I really feel good about that. But yeah, let's just keep getting there, and then we can talk about the three and four and five and six-year streak. That's what I want to be talking about. I know that's what you want to be talking about, too. That'd be nice. Thanks, everybody, for listening, always for reading. We got more and more content. The content is coming on our ears. You see, even on a day where we have a game postponed, we've got a full, fresh block of stories up the top six on site. Uh, We're going to continue to be giving that to you with uh, additional writers and voices like uh, Tyrone hopping on. So uh, thank you always for reading, uh, for even listening. Sometimes even watching. Uh, thanks. This is Southside Sox podcast number 49. Thank you, Tyrone, for, for joining us. And let's uh, do this again real soon. Yeah, definitely.